We're going to read together from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. This is God's word. The second reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting at verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Then I realized that it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God's given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, whenever, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, This is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. I've seen another evil under the sun and it weighs heavily on men. God gives a man wealth, possessions and honour so that he lacks nothing his heart desires. But God does not enable him to enjoy them and a stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does this man, even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place. 
All man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. What advantage has a wise man over a fool? What does a poor man gain by knowing how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, the chasing after the wind. This is God's word. Our Father, if we know you, we know that there are uh, no words that we can use to fully express the debt that we owe you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place. Uh, You want the whole of our lives. So as we come and we hear you speak now as your word is opened, please would you move our hearts, help us to think with clarity so that we would give you the whole of our lives in response to all that you've done for us. Amen. Uh, this will be the last, for a few weeks, that we, uh, last time we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, probably good to have a little bit of a break from uh, its relentless uh, focus. Because the book of Ecclesiastes, as we've been saying, is then uh, the work of a, a, a believer, but who is uh, sort of somewhat relentlessly, relentlessly pointing out, if this world is all there is, if there is nothing more than life under the sun, then really all that you achieve, all that you live for in this life is meaningless or vapor maybe a better way of translating it it's fleeting you can't grasp hold of it you can't keep it it just escapes you it eludes you and he's shown that in a whole number of ways so uh, uh, the teacher the, the main character in the uh, who's written this has explored wisdom and says yeah I, I achieved enormous wisdom great wisdom more than any man before me but well so what because i'll die just like a, a thick man a foolish man so that lot of good that does on its own. Or um, pleasure, I pursue pleasure beyond anything you can wildly imagine, but that never satisfied me. Or work, I achieved great things in my, in my employment, but that didn't do it either, because I know that I'll go and hand them on, and who knows what will happen to them after uh, them. So none of these are enough to give me meaning for life. Death mocks everything I achieve. And so he's worked his way through a whole number of things. And essentially, sorry, essentially, he's pushing this point, meaningless, meaningless, because the only way to have a life which is satisfying, deeply fulfilling, is to build it upon Jesus Christ, to build it upon God, and then enjoy the good things which he's given us. I don't know if you've ever uh, read, uh, the, probably not, but the book The Natural, I think it's Bernard Malamud, wrote the book. It was turned into a film, perhaps you might have seen, with Robert Redford um, uh, a few years ago, a good number of years ago, probably. Uh, Robert Redford plays Roy Hobbs, and uh, he is, uh, as the film begins, he's uh, uh, an unbelievably good baseball player, a sort of preternatural skill. He is destined for greatness because he is so incredibly talented. Uh, but he's a playboy and he's a bit, of a, a bit of a fool with it as well. There's a scene very or fairly early on in the, in the, uh, in the book and the film uh, when uh, a woman, a very alluring woman, uh, he gets into conversation with and he has one thing on his mind. Uh, and so she's asking him what his ambitions are and what he wants to do. So he said, well, you know, I, I dream that one day, whenever I walk down the street, everyone will say, there goes Roy Hobbs, the best baseball player that's ever lived. And she's unimpressed. So, okay. He tries a few other things. I I intend in my career to become incredibly wealthy through my baseball. And she's disappointed. And he's, oh, come on, this works with most of the girls. 
but she turns to him and says, isn't there something over and above earthly things? Isn't there some more glorious meaning to your life and activities than that? Oh, he's been stunned by that. But anyway, off they go to a hotel room for a romantic tryst uh, together. And, uh, but she pulls out a gun and shoots him. Uh, uh, which is, unsurpri- is a bit surprising. That's not really what he was going for. But then the rest of the book, the re- I mean, he's, he survives. Uh, you've clearly not, you've, this is surprising, you've clearly not read this book or seen this film. I, I think I, there may be one other who's with me here. Anyway, let's, uh, it's, it's, you know, you'll enjoy it all the more. I'll, um, I'll ruin the ending, but it doesn't matter. The, uh, but the rest of the story is, what's he going to do now? He's been given a wake-up call. Roy, is this all there is? And uh, the rest of the book, and indeed the film, is now what am I going to do with my life, given that I've had this shock? And the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to do something like that. He's saying, hello, can I, can I wake you up here? If this is all there is, so what? Really? Oh, and he's sort of trying to shock us a little bit by drumming this, everything you achieve... It's meaningless. I mean, he really, but he goes for this quite hard, doesn't he, if you've been here for a few weeks. But, he's a but, 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 once you've realized that, build your life upon God, build your life upon Jesus Christ, and then, well, okay, then you can enjoy this world. Not perfectly, it's fallen, but you can enjoy it. Well, today the, the writer turns his attention to money. To money, that's, uh, as uh, Sharon read, that's the, what this section's all about. Of course, some might say, well, you know, this sort of analyzing life and what's it all about? You can do that if you want. I'm just going to get rich and have a good, you know, spend all my money. And at this point, the teacher says, well, do you know what? And if you've been here a few weeks, you won't be surprised. He says, money won't satisfy you either. Um, Because he does that. That's kind of his refrain. But in particular this morning, I think he'll impress upon us. Well, it's somewhat ironic. Most of us know no one here is going to stand up probably and say, I think money is the answer to all of my problems. I think money can buy me happiness. Probably, maybe, but I think unlikely that someone's going to stand up and say that precisely. But, he'll point out the irony, you may all think that. But in your hearts, you do really think that if you had more, life would be better and easier. So this morning he says, let me just explore that with you to demonstrate how foolish that is. So three little things, really. Wealth is not satisfying. Wealth is not secure. Positively, contented wealth is from God. There's a little but at the end. Okay, wealth is not satisfying, which is really chapter 5 and verses 10 to 12. Let me read verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Money, money, he said, it's another drug that can never satisfy you. However much you have, you always want more. This, uh, I pulled this out of uh, The Economist. Uh, it was a couple of years ago now. I thought it was such a great quote. Such, put it so strong, strongly. The leader said this, Affluent countries have not grown happier as they've grown richer. Capitalism is adept at turning luxuries into necessities, bringing to the masses what the elites have always enjoyed. But the flip side of this genius is that people come to take for granted things they once coveted from afar. People are stuck on a treadmill. As they achieve a better standard of living, they become inured to its pleasures. That's just very starkly put. 
Now, any survey that's done across the world will tell you, once you've got above 20, 25 maybe thousand pounds as, a, as an income, that's it, really. You can provide for your basic needs, a house above your head, a roof over your head, food, drink. Beyond that, the more money you have, it doesn't really do a great deal. Tiny, tiny increments of difference it'll make. Because you just want the next thing, just the next thing. And it's true, so you think of something like a mobile phone. Of course, they came out in their suitcases in the 1980s, very, you know, enormous, ooh, what's that incredible device? And they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And now everyone's got one. And uh, eight-year-old kids will say, I need a mobile phone, mum and dad. You need? What do you need? Um, it's become a, an essential of life. Everyone's got one now. Or clothing, you know, you, you move up expensive. I mean, if you've got a lot of money, you buy the next, you know, you go to the next shop or the next shop or the next shop, and all of a sudden there are no more expensive clothes you can buy. So what do you do then? Well, you remodel your body. You sort of pull this up and suck this out and push these out and, you know, you remodel yourself because there's no more clothes you can buy, so you may as well do it. Your, and you've done all that and you think, well, now what do I do? Well, my children, let, maybe dress them in designer clothes. I mean, just for fun, just for fun, of course, because it's just the next thing. You always want the next thing. And so now, of course, five-star hotels, not good enough. There are now six-star hotels because, you know, too many people. The riffraff can go to the five-star hotels. We need something better. What more can you get? And you get, you know, in Dubai and places, it's a competition for the more absurd amount of money you can spend at a hotel. Gold in your tap water? Super. That'll, you know, the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. We don't buy TVs. We buy home cinemas. Just much better, isn't it, now? We go shopping, not for food, but for the finest food. Tesco, finest. Sainsbury's, whatever it is. Taste the difference. Thank you very much. The, um, you know, every, you know, just food is superfood. Because we want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But we know this. It doesn't satisfy. As the economist put it, it's just on the treadmill. Just because you never get anywhere. It's a really striking picture, isn't it? Just, you never get off. Because you never achieve a level of wealth which satisfies always more. Or um, you could try this. I tried this uh, the other day. Don't, you could try going on the wrong escalator. So try walking up the down escalator. Don't do it in rush hour. You really, you know, you'll annoy everyone. Try it at midnight or something like that. But go, go up the wrong, the wrong way up an escalator. And you may as well say, pursuing wealth is relentless. Pursuing, I mean, you may not say that out loud. You really will be taken for a bit of a crazy, but that's what, you, that's what we're doing, time after time. Just meaningless, thinking that it'll satisfy. It's crazy, says the writer, because there's always a bigger house. There's always a more expensive car. There's always a better place to shop. There are always those things. Loving money is relentless. In a famous quote, uh, uh, I think it's a well-famous quote, um, John Rockefeller, who allegedly apparently is the, is the richest man that's ever lived, the first man to become a billionaire uh, in the 19th century. If you translate his wealth, it's worth somewhere between 300 and 500 billion, depending on how you calculate it. He's probably the richest man that's ever lived, um, the uh, oil magnate in the States. Famously asked, how much money do you need to be truly happy? Wisely answered, oh, just a little bit more. And that's true if you're on the breadline. That's true if you're a millionaire. Just a little bit more and I'll be there. That'll satisfy me. Just a little bit more. And we know that instinct <laughs> in our hearts. At the end of the month, I just, 
If it was just a little bit more, that would make paying all the bills a little bit easier. If we had just a little bit more, we could go on nicer holidays, then that would be fine. If we had just a little bit more, we could get a little bit more space, another bedroom perhaps, just a little bit more, and then we'd be happy. You know, we're not like those silly people. You know, there's really silly people who are millionaires and say they need more money. I mean, that's really silly, isn't it? We're not like them. We just want a little bit more. And the writer says, you're on the same treadmill. Well, you're on the same escalator. There may be a few stairs ahead, but it's the same thing going round and round. It's the same attitude. Your level of income is slightly neither here nor there. I was reading in the, uh, in the week that during the last year, in the period of recession, sales of national lottery tickets have gone up by 12% over the last year. As people have had less money, or just, you know, or just the, or if only, just, just more, just more. Exactly the same. You're chasing the wind, says the writer of Ecclesiastes, verse 10. Or let's push on, verse 11, a slightly different point. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner, except to feast his eyes on them? Essentially, you can only use so many possessions, and the rest you just end up stashing in cupboards. And if you're, actually, if you're of a certain level of income... Who gets to use all your stuff, which your entourage? Or if you have a certain level of income, you have to pay people to manage your money and look after it, and you spread the money around. And actually, there's, there's a limit to what you can personally enjoy. Mark Gardner uh, last year won £11 million on the National Lottery and, of course, said, it won't change me. They all say that. Um, and won £11 million. And I read an interview with him recently. He was remarrying for the fifth time. Um, and he was talking about uh, what he'd bought and how he'd spent his money, and most of it's gone. But he said, I'm very proud of the house and grounds I live in, but there are rooms here that have never been slept in. There are toilets that have never been used and baths that have never been sat in. It's such a waste. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, well, yeah. Look, I've got so much stuff, I can't, you know, I can't use every toilet in my house, even if I... It's crazy, isn't it? But the really sad thing... He says this, the money hasn't made me happy. People have just wanted a piece of it, my friends, my family, my staff. The trouble isn't money. It's what the money brings along with it. It enabled me to get rid of a box of problems, but it's been replaced by a box of posher problems instead. And miserably, because of upsets over who he'd given money to, he was uh, barred from his father's funeral because uh, he's not speaking to his mother, who has subsequently died, not on speaking terms. And money's just ruined the whole thing. I mean, that is miserable. That's really miserable. But he says, you know, I've got all this money, and I can't even, you know, other people just take it. And it oh. Verse 12. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Now, the word for abundance here, I'm told, is overindulging. So the, the, we all know this, even if it's only at Christmas, uh, but some will know it from last night, perhaps. The, uh, the night you eat too much, too late, uh, a glass of wine on top, and uh, you go to bed, ooh, and you don't sleep. It's that, that's his point. Sometimes it's just, it just does you no good, actually. You just overindulge and then go, oh, now I need to go and spend a lot of money to a really expensive gym to lose some of it. Yeah, that's just the way it works. The, uh, did you see last, no, in March, uh, the Austrian millionaire, Karl uh, Rebeder, 
uh, was in the news because he decided to give away every penny of his £3.7 million. Pounds. He was giving it all away. Every penny, he said. It must almost go, and he's now living in a hut in the Austrian mountains. Now, it's slightly eccentric, of course. But he said for him and his wife, the tipping point came when they went on holiday. They went on an exclusive three-week holiday in Hawaii. He said, it was the biggest shock of my life. I realized how soulless and without feeling the five-star lifestyle is. In those three weeks, we spent all the money you could possibly spend. But in all that time, we had the feeling we'd not met a single real person. Everyone was just an actor. The staff, oh, they played the role of being really friendly and liking us. The guests, they played the role of being very important because they had lots of money. Nobody was real. He said, I'm sick of this. So he's given it all away and lived in a hut. You can imagine him regretting that in the winter, but the, um, uh, that's where he got to. He's saying, oh, the, the abundance, it didn't satisfy me. It gave me no sleep or rest. So wealth, it's useful, of course, but it's not satisfying. Now, I think we know that. <laughs> I think we know that. Wealth is not satisfying, says the teacher. But some will say, look, calm down. I know that. I know that. I know Rockefeller's true. I know that. But I, it's not, I don't think that it'll make me happy. But wealth, it just provides security. Uh, I like having money in the bank. I don't care about possessions. I don't care about stuff. But I like money in the bank because that makes me feel safe. That makes me feel secure. Uh, hold on, says the teacher. Secondly, wealth is not secure, which is really verses 13 to 17. It's not secure. So verse 13, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. That is, I've seen something that just makes me sick. It's so miserable. But what is it? Well, firstly, verse 13, uh, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. That's just really sickening, he says. When someone is so obsessive about saving their money and hoarding it, that it, they never enjoy it. There's no pleasure you know, there are whole websites uh, devoted, and the best-selling book as well, to being the frugal millionaire. And the logic is, you know, out there, there are all sorts of bargains you can, you can find. There are sort of vouchers to get free coffee. Uh, you, can, you can do all your shopping at the cheapest supermarkets. And if you, get, if you never go out, and if you just eat the basics food, after about 20 years, you can be a millionaire. And uh, you know, I was reading these things, and they said, well, you know, it's, it's a little bit grim, but the pleasure of one day opening up your bank statement and seeing six zeros after a figure is just worth everything. And you think, that's really miserable. <laughs> that's a really miserable way of living, isn't it? Just deprive yourself of anything just to get the, just to get the seven figures. Now, that's an extreme example. But the writer is saying, well, we can, all, we can fall into that. Just being so obsessed with money in the bank accounts. What's the statement say? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Things may be going wrong around us, but look, we're safe because we've got this. And he's saying, well, hold on, hold on. It goes on. So verse 14, uh, the other element of the grievous evil, wealth lost through misfortune. So that when the owner has a son, there's nothing left for him. All of a sudden it goes. The person who builds up wealth, but it just disappears. So for some, of course, 
uh, they've worked all their lives and uh, they, uh, they go, they've built up their pension pot and it comes to retire and they go and see their financial advisor and how much do we have to retire on? And he says, oh, well, sadly, I invested with Bernard Madoff and so you've got nothing. My life, my life, it's all gone. Yes, I'm sorry about that, nothing. Gosh. Uh, I remember reading that... Um, in the subprime mortgage crisis in the States, two million people lost their houses. Now, those are not wealthy people. Gone. All gone. Or do you remember the thousands in this country queuing at branches of the Northern Rock Bank? Desperate because everything they've ever invested is all about to go. And it's gone. I mean, not as, the, as it turned out. But the panic that induces... You, know, also you put all this money into uh, uh, ISAs and shares and says, oh, it, collapses the market collapses and oh no that's gone that's the kids car that's the kids school fees that's the university fees gone he says oh that's sickening makes you sick doesn't it it can happen in this world it does happen in this world because wealth is not secure it's far more fragile than you think and 15 and 16 you can't take it with you of course naked a man comes from his mother's womb as he comes so he departs Takes nothing from his labor he, that he can carry in his hand. And this too is a grievous evil. Can't take it with you. Our family's uh, currently obsessed with Egyptology. That's, you know, Egypt toys, Egypt books, Egypt, Egypt obsession at the moment uh, in our house. And there's the classic example. You know, these pyramids or these, uh, these enormous tombs discovered in the Valley of the Kings. And a stuff full of treasure. And these little shaptis, you know, these uh, little uh, model clay people that uh, they thought in the afterlife they'd get all these servants to look after them with their wealth no I'm afraid it's just all been stolen (laughs) you can't take it with you it's not secure someone will break in and rob you of it so verse 16 as man comes so he departs and what does he gain since he toils for the wind all his days he eats in darkness with great frustration affliction and anger so that's a really miserable picture at the end, verse 17. Eating in darkness. Maybe so frugal you can't even afford a candle. But I think the picture is, it's just a miserable way. You, you're eating, but in darkness. You, never see, you don't enjoy it with anyone else. You, you don't even have the anticipation of food about to enter your mouth. You don't know what it is. It's, it's a really miserable way. You have money, but it's not secure, he says. So something like, as one writer put it, and I thought this was good, if anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it's the emptiness that it leaves. If anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it's the emptiness it leaves. Man with eternity in his heart needs better nourishment than this. Remember the paradox we saw last time, chapter 3, God has placed eternity into the hearts of man. So we do long for uh, purpose and meaning and satisfaction. But we need more than this, because it won't. It won't satisfy. So wealth is not satisfying, it's not secure, but he never quite leaves us there, does he? But contented wealth is from God. Contented wealth, that's from God. Chapter 5 and verse 18. What should we do then? Well, then I realize that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun. During the few days of life, God has given him. This is his lot. Moreover, when God gives, 
any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and to be happy in his work, well, that is the gift of God. He sat and reflects on the days of his life because God has kept, God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. It's a gift. So three times God has given it. And if you recognize that, well, you can enjoy. Don't confuse the gift with the goal. <laughs> if, if you view wealth as a gift from God, you can enjoy it. If wealth is your goal, well, you're on the treadmill, round and round and round, going round and round, fighting the escalator. But as a gift from God, and you recognize it's not all you need from him, well, you can enjoy it. So uh, back to John Rockefeller, clearly an able businessman. You don't become the, the wealthiest man in the world by being daft in the oil business. And uh, I don't know how ethical he was. I think recent biographies have suggested he was quite a good businessman. When he was buying out folk, he, he gave them a decent price uh, for their money, uh, for, their, uh, for their companies, I think, apparently. But at the age of 86, uh, he was a Christian man, and he penned these words to sum up his life. Now... Don't get excited. He was a better businessman than poet, so it's not the finest poem you'll ever see. And he was 86 when he wrote it. But uh, this was his poem of age 86. I was early taught to work and play. My life has been one long holiday, full of work and full of play. And God was good to me every day. Now, slightly sounds like an eight-year-old poem, I know. Um, but the truth is expresses... Phenomenal. So, yeah, I've enjoyed my life enormously because God has, given, God has been good to me every day. I recognize this all from him. Apparently from his very first paycheck as a, at the bottom of the food chain, he gave. He gave. He repeatedly uh, uh, trotted off the, um, uh, the dictum of uh, uh, John Wesley. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That was his advice in business as well, apparently. How have you built up so much money? Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's how he lived his life. Or in Jesus' language that we had read earlier from, uh, from Luke 12, be rich towards God. Don't just build up possessions in this life. They'll not serve you in the next. Be rich towards God. Be wise in how you use your money. Now, of course, this affects us, of course, if we've got a lot or if we've got a little. The temptation, we're on the same treadmill, the temptation to hoard, the temptation to pursue wealth, it's there always. In different ways. Now, if, um, if there's lots of money sloshing around for you, that's a danger. If there's no money, there's a danger there. There are different sorts of dangers. If there are lots of money, I wonder if... Um, uh, having lots of money is like living in a gravityless world. Because, uh, you know, astronauts, when they go into space, you don't, may not know them, but you'll observe, astronauts, when they go into space, because there's no gravity and they're weightless, they have to, on a daily basis, strap themselves down onto the uh, exercise machine and do some peddling uh, in space. Otherwise, all their muscles waste away. Because if there's no gravity upon you, it's, it distorts you. Your body gets a bit... You know, a bit confused. And if you've got lots of money, that there are no financial constraints upon you, we can largely do what we want. Well, that will distort us. See, gravity keeps human beings healthy, stops them wasting away. And actually, having some financial restrictions keeps us healthy, 
stops us getting carried away and thinking we don't need God. We can do what we want. Stops us becoming, or treating other people badly and, and just being selfish. Having some restrictions is good. So there's a danger to have lots of money. Of course, the danger of having little money is going to have to be resentment, uh, anger, jealousy. So which do you want? A huge amount or very little? Well, you know, you take your pick. Um, they're both temptations. Contentment, regardless of the situation, that's what we want. So we'll sing in a moment um, uh, how firm a foundation you say to the Lord. In the second verse, it will stress that actually there's temptation in poverty's veil or abounding in wealth. Temptation in both to be obsessive about money. But to have wealth and be content, that's God's gift. That's a wonderful gift that you have or find from him when you lean on him. But it's a gift. I don't know if you've ever had the time of, um, or the privilege really, a real privilege I think, of uh, spending time with impoverished Christians who have very little indeed. Uh, there have been a few occasions in my life when I've done that, probably most acute. Years ago, I went to Omatepe Island in Nicaragua and um, uh, stayed on this island, very, very basic, primitive, stayed with a pastor for uh, three months uh, in his essentially uh, corrugated iron hut. Uh, there's one brick wall on it, uh, one room to sleep in, to cook in, to uh, have as your lounge. Uh, him, his wife, and his three kids, and uh, six of us stayed with them. It was all a bit of a, a squeeze. Uh, but that man, Arsenio, was joyfully happy, and he and his church. It was the complete opposite of um, the Austrian millionaire, Karl Rebeder. Yeah. Rather than living in five-star luxury and no one being real, here was a community that had nothing, really. No running water, no electricity, there was no hospital on the island, very basic, joyful, delightful. And uh, the thing, I mean, um, my Spanish was not very good, uh, but the thing he, uh, he taught me a bit... But the thing, the, the phrase he kept coming over and over and over again, things would go wrong, things would break. You know, the, the one bicycle that his family owned would fall apart. But he'd always just smile and say, it's frustrating. But Matt, in Jesus Christ, I am very rich. I am very rich. That was his sort of standard phrase. He'd say, in Jesus Christ, I am very rich. Uh, with this enormous smile that had about a thousand teeth in it somehow. I didn't quite understand. Um, very rich in Jesus Christ. Enormous privilege to see that. And they knew that. It's a contentment that comes from leaning upon, building your life upon Jesus Christ. Regardless of level of income, that's a, one, that's a really precious gift to have. So contented wealth is from God. Sadly, the, author doesn't, the writer doesn't quite finish there, his section on money. There's a but. We won't go through it all in uh, verses 1 to 9 of chapter 6. But you can see his summary in uh, chapter 9. Uh, sorry, verse 9 of chapter 6. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Look, I've told you what you need to do. Find your contentment. Recognize that wealth is a gift from God and therefore enjoy it. Enjoy. Be rich towards God. Uh, strap yourself down like the astronaut. And give away money. Give away your surplus. Be accountable to other people. Set yourself a budget and then live off it, regardless of how much money you then go on to earn. There are things you can do to, to help you in that. Oh, but, chapter 6, verse 9, some will never learn. So what the eyes, it's better to 
have, you know, we'd say, better a bird in the hand than two in the bush. It's exactly the same sort of expression. Better what you can see in front of you than the roving of the imagination, than the roving of the eye about what might be, because that's chasing the wind. Our man in this picture here, as he is every week, he's chasing the wind. He'll never catch it. It's a waste of time. There's no satisfaction to be found there, says the writer. Now, the, um, uh, the Bernard Malamud book, The Natural, the book and the film end very differently. Isn't that the way often with uh, Hollywood? The, uh, the film ends beautifully. So Roy, he, uh, he, he finds redemption. He pursues a good career in baseball, never as brilliant as he would have been had he not been shot, but a good career. And uh, he marries sensibly rather than chasing women. And the film ends with him teaching his son baseball and all is well. He's learned his lesson. That's because it was made in Hollywood in the 1980s. Now, the book, <laughs> the book ends miserably because Roy never learns. He just pursues this life. He recovers his baseball talents, but he pursues women and gambling and has illegitimate children, and he never learns. And so right at the end of the book, his lifestyle is exposed by the press. Uh, Sunday, you know, Sunday kiss and tell. Uh, and uh, all talking about it, you know, Roy Hobbs, he's a, he's a, he's a cad, he's a bounder, etc. Uh, the book ends with uh, a boy coming up to him who has Roy as his hero and says, say it ain't true, Roy. And he's just eyes fall to the ground. And the book ends, you know. It's all a bit glum because he's never learned his lesson. And I think the way the writer finishes here on the subject of money, he's saying, as he is throughout the whole book, look, I've tried, to, I've tried to wake you up here. Have you seen that chasing money, it's the same as these other things, you'll never find satisfaction, it'll never fulfill you. Have you got it? Because some won't. They'll just still daydream and chase the wind. And if we're honest, that's very, very easy to do, isn't it? So I find myself doing that often. If you find yourself daydreaming, oh, actually life would be much easier, wouldn't it, if, if we owned our house rather than renting from our landlords and you know, never, never fixing anything. It would be much nicer to own a house. Yes. Wouldn't it be nice if we had money here? Oh, if we had more money here to put in a new floor and, and change things around and oh, you know, we could make this. Yes, that would be nice. That would be good. But I find myself daydreaming. And you can daydream. And if I have a really bad day, I find myself walking home thinking maybe someone sent a letter today sending enough money to do such a thing. And you sort of feel, you know, is there any, what, what am I waiting for? It's crazy, absolutely crazy on a bad day. And so you have to smile and laugh at yourself and remind myself, Arsenio, he was a wise man. Jesus Christ, imagine Jesus Christ, I am rich. Yes, that's right. Because a check through the post, that won't die for me. Uh, Winning the lottery, that won't die for me. That sort of level of money won't die for me. It won't open me up to the kingdom of endless riches. Only Jesus Christ will do that. In Jesus Christ, I'm rich. Find satisfaction in him. And if life chucks me millions or if it chucks me pennies, it doesn't matter. Find satisfaction in him. And then use the money wisely. Let's pray together. Our Father, you know well that none of us are immune to the lure of money. Uh, we all at times are, are very obviously on that treadmill, uh, just thinking a little bit more and all would be well. And how we long, Father, for a contentment, a contentment with whatever our financial situation 
a contentment in you so that if we have a little money but get by, we give you thanks. If we have lots of money, we give you thanks and use it wisely. But Father, would we find at root at heart our contentment in you, knowing that in Jesus Christ we can be very rich indeed because he will open up the door to the heaven, the kingdom of eternal riches. So Father, would we find our meaning, our contentment, our purpose in him. Amen.